buying a home and selling a home shouldn't be stressful. Renters, homeowners, and investors in Southern Arizona work with the Win3 team, powered by EXP Realty, because they match buyers with sellers. Like the eHarmony of real estate, buying or selling, this is where you'll find what you're looking for. This is Home Solutions on KNST. It's the Win3 team, powered by EXP Realty. Now, Bob Zachmeyer. Just know you're not alone. Cause I'm gonna make this place your home. Good morning and welcome to the show. I'm Bob Zachmeyer and I'm joined by Jerry Sunt of Cross Country Mortgage. Good morning, Jerry. Morning, Bob. How are you? I am good, Jerry. I'm actually uh, calling remotely today from Cabo San Lucas, Mexico, where we're enjoying a stay in my mother's timeshares that she we spent many, many years here with her and She's not here anymore, but her timeshares are, and we are taking advantage of the gift she gave us. So uh, no freezing weather for us. How about you? Is it anything freeze in your house? Oh, yeah. So it was uh, um, on Thursday morning. It was when I got up, which was five. It was 22 degrees. uh, At least that's what the car said. Wow. Inventory in Tucson is down to 1199 total listed properties on the entire MLS. Uh-huh. And just a week ago, that was 1290. So we're, we're down 91 properties from a week ago. Two weeks ago, it was 1395. So, you know, we're, we're dropping about 100 properties a week off the MLS, and we only have 1199 properties. So what does wow. that tell you? It's going to be like trying to buy a home this summer. I mean, it's, it's, it's starting early, much earlier than last year. Yeah. Um, yeah, those are nerve wracking numbers for sure. And, and it does not, uh, um, it does not bode well for the, uh, you know, the spring buying season, we need more inventory. Um, and again, you know, it's, it, none of us know what's what inventory is coming here in the next 30 days, but hopefully more will be coming soon. I hope so. Um, you know, total single family homes under 400,000, we are now down to 495 homes for sale, single family homes under $400,000. And just the inventory of million plus homes, we grew that from last week, there were 105 uh, homes listed for sale over a million and now there's 121. So that represents 15% of the inventory of homes over a million. So when you say there's 1,199 houses, it's a little bit deceiving because when you look at homes in the range where most people can afford them, we're, we're down to 41% of the houses available on the MLS are 400000 or below. Wow. So uh, there's some news that came out. This article basically was published on Groundhog Day, uh, February 2nd, said in 10 years, the housing market has doubled in value. And uh, the value of all the homes in the United States right now is $43 trillion. And according to Zillow, of that $43 trillion, $6.9 trillion of it came in 2021. So, you know, that's just like crazy. It's 15% of the value of the whole United States came in one year. And um, to put that in perspective, it wasn't until 1994 that 
across the U.S., all the homes combined were at $10 trillion. Then 10 years later in 2004, we hit $20 trillion. And then we hit $30 trillion in 2017. So it took 13 years to go from $20 trillion to $30 trillion. And then in, in 2021, which is like less than five years, four and a half years later, we hit you know, $40 trillion. That was June of last year. And then uh, just kept marching on. We're already past $43 trillion. So this article kind of breaks it down where those states are. California had $1.3 trillion increase in real estate. Florida had $571 billion, followed by Texas, New York, and Washington. Arizona's not even anywhere close on the map. And, and we had a great year. We, you know, like number one in the country in appreciation, but we just don't even show up in these numbers of highly populated states. And Phoenix had 0.5% growth, which is a pittance compared to what all these other, other uh, locations. California has 21.3% of all the homes in the United States. The value of California homes are the highest. Yeah. It's a, uh, um, I, when you look at that incredible wealth that was generated during that year, I mean, it's, uh, um, I, again, I, there's, no, there's never been a, a year like that in history. And yep. it just goes to show you that's where all the liquidity in the marketplace was going to, you know, stocks and other, and other investments. I think, what do you, I mean, what's your thought? Can it keep going? No, no, no. Which, which actually leads us to uh, the next article, which, which is um, home price gains expected to slow by December. So CoreLogic has reduced home price index for December of 2021. The consumer desire for home ownership against the continuous low supply of for sale homes created one of the hottest housing markets in decades in 2021 sparking record-breaking home price growth. Price appreciation averaged 15% for the full year of 2021, up from 2020 full average appreciation of 6%. So across the U.S. went up 15% last year and 6% uh, the previous year. Mm -hmm. So when you look at just month-over-month numbers, so January of 2021 versus January of 2020, it was up 10%, but by the end of the year in December, December home price growth was up 18% year over year from the previous December. So we'll see as we start getting, you know, somewhere into the month or first part of March, we'll see the January growth. And I'll just tell you from what I can see, the inventory shrinking and the number of people starting early this year, I think we're in for another banner year of home sales. And, and, you know, we have no inventory and we're still like getting close to record number of homes sold at a time where there's no inventory. That, that's the amazing part. So while there's questions surrounding whether the U.S. is currently in a housing bubble, CoreLogic market risk indicators suggest a small probability of a nationwide price decline and points to the larger possibility that a drop in price will be limited to specific at-risk markets. And I couldn't agree more with that analysis. I mean, there are places in the United States that are losing population. And it's just a matter of time that more people leave every month 
and there's more homes on the market that you know you'll start to see prices flatten and then start to fall. We do not have that <laughs> that problem at all in Tucson, Arizona. I mean, we have more people coming in, twelve hundred a month on average, and we're just not producing enough homes to keep up with that demand. So how can prices fall? First of all, because it costs more money to build a home than they're currently selling for. Secondly, there's more people every month looking for a home than there were the month before. And you know, I just don't see how we're, we're going to see any kind of a decline in our prices in near future. I don't believe we're going to keep up with 25% uh, annual gain, which is not sustainable. But I just don't see, for those that are waiting for prices to fall, I think you're going to be waiting a very long time. Yeah, no. I couldn't agree. For, These numbers continue to drop. It will be, um, goes back to the alternative, right? For if you don't buy, you rent. And rents are continuing to rise. So there's not a, I, I, I don't know the solution. It's not like if there's, if there's less demand for housing, well, that means people, rents are going through the roof. Right. Yeah, I just don't see how it's keep up with what it's doing. Um, but they do say that the 12-month growth is slowing over 2022. During the early months of the year, the rates are projected to remain above 10% while decelerating each month to a 12-month rise of 3.5% year over year from December of 2021 to December of 2022. So by the end of the year, they think that this is going to drop. And then you ask, well, how can it drop? They're building at higher rate that they've ever built at right now, the new construction. I actually have another article to read about that. But the higher interest rates are also expected to push people out of the market somewhat. So I said it last year. I think when we get into March, April, May, it might be time to assess the inventory of homes that you have in your portfolio and take the gains while you can. And, and uh, not that I think there's a free fall coming, but I just think it's going to start to stagnate and, and uh, go sideways as we reach more than people can afford to pay. Yes, yeah, yeah. exactly. And uh, comparing the average projected national home price index for 2022 with the previous year, the CoreLogic home price index forecast shows the annual average up 9.6% in 2022. So last year we had a national increase of 15.8 and they're saying that this year they're expecting a 9.6 year over year increase. Just since October, there were over 1,800 properties. You know, even the 20th of, of November, there were 1,833 homes, total available properties on the MLS. That number has dropped to 1,199. So just from uh, two weeks ago, we are down 196 houses, um, which is like 15% of the inventory in, in two weeks. Last year, we got to 848 total listed properties at the end of May, first part of June. We're at 1,199 right now. So, I mean, we're, we're not very far away at all. 350 properties from and where we were and that drastic shortage, I, I don't see, you know, this is just another testament to those that think they're going to wait for a lower price. I, I don't see that happening at all. At the end of December, 
we were down to 1,364 homes on the market. Compare that to a year ago in December, it was 1,377 homes. So we're 13 homes fewer, but January was not nearly as busy last year as it was this year. Last year, bottomed out in May at 848 total homes for sale on the MLS. So we are starting with less inventory than we had a year ago, and the prices have increased substantially, and we are getting dangerously low on inventory of affordable homes. If last year is any indication of inventory levels for the summer, we are going to be in a bad position if you're a home buyer. So buy early. We are coming up on a break. This is Tucson Home Solutions on KNST. I'm Bob Zachmeyer of EXP Realty. I'll be back with Jerry Sunt of Cross Country Mortgage. Good morning and welcome back. I'm Bob Zachmeyer of EXP Realty, and I'm joined by Jerry Sunt of Cross Country Mortgage. And Jerry is your go-to guy. If you want to take advantage of these low rates before they go any higher and inventory before it gets any lower, Jerry Sunt is your guy. So, Jerry, you got some update on what's happening out there in the mortgage market. There's some good news this week, right? There, there really is great news. So if, if anyone has done a mortgage over the last two years and they're self-employed, you, you know to get a loan. In the standpoint, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac put overlays uh, during the pandemic where self-employed borrowers had to produce three months of business bank statements plus a profit and loss. And those numbers were qualifying. And it made it very difficult for self-employed borrowers to qualify and they had to produce a lot of documentation. Well, that all went away this week. So we are back to, for self-employed borrowers, only needing, you know, last year's tax returns or the previous two years tax returns, but no more business bank statements and no more uh, profit and losses. Awesome. That's great news. It is great news. That is a big, even though, you know, rates moving up a half a percent, you know, stings a bit, but uh, anyone who's self-employed not having paperwork, yeah. All right. Um, so what's interesting is look at where our inventory is as of the end of December. And, you know, we had gotten last spring to 198% of the inventory selling. So how does that, how is that even possible? And the thing is, is at the very first of the month, there's a reported number of homes for sale on the MLS for that month. You know, what we're starting with inventory from the previous month. And during the month of May, we actually sold 198% of what we started the month with. Basically, as soon as homes were listed, they were sold and we were depleting inventory every month. And, you know, we peaked in May at 198% of inventory. It dropped all the way down to 69%, which is still like a record high of, of the number of homes off the MLS, a percentage of homes being sold. But just since... October, when it dipped down to 69%, we are back at 104% of the MLS being sold in, in one month. So again, that means we're depleting inventory. And as I track it, because the MLS only comes out with their new numbers once a month, I track it every week and I'm seeing a drop of about 100 houses every single week on the MLS. And I can't tell you enough, get with Jerry's son, get, if you're planning to buy something, 
if you're planning to buy and sell, definitely you want to buy first so that you don't end up homeless and, and then sell at a later time. There will be plenty of demand for your property, but you could very well end up homeless if you did it the other way around, sold your home first. And if you're trying to sell with a contingency on your home, like you have to sell your home before you, you buy another one, you're going to be disqualified at the start and nobody's going to go for that. So you really have to make sure that you have a home to, to move to before you sell the house you have. Yeah, and I think, you know, people need to think outside the box, Bob, um, on this. You know, we always shut down and say, no, don't want to do this or that. But, you know, a perfect example, um, you and I were talking to um, a, a gentleman who, you know, has a ton of equity in his house, but he needs to sell his house to qualify. Right. You know, um, bridge loan being one option or B, you know, getting a co-signer to buy the new house, then sell your old house. And you can refinance and take the co-borrower off if you want to, or there are options. I think, you know, as buyers, we just have to be uh, open to them because in, in, you know, may say, well, gosh, that's going to cost me an extra $2,000. True, but is that $2,000 in, you know, refinancing costs? Is it, you know, is that a big deal or, you know, as compared to really love? You know what I mean? I just think we have to think outside the box. Buyers have to be open to some of these suggestions. Although they're not perfect, you know, it's, you, have to, you have to deal with the cards you have and with an aggressive market the way we do, you just have to, you know, you have to think outside the box and deal with the cards that, we're, that are dealt right now. No, I agree. And the, the new numbers for January will come out somewhere around the 8th or so of February. And we ended December with 1,364 houses. So, you know, the inventory is shrinking. I show it right now at 1199 the last two weeks, we've lost 100 homes on the market. So we do expect to see an increase in the number of homes listed for sale come spring, but there is a, also going to be a corresponding increase in the number of buyers entering the market. So I don't think that's going to, to be of much help to people. And I, I think it's going to be a very, very limited supply. And I've got this data on the MLS all the way back into the 80s. But if you look at of all the homes that used to be listed on the MLS, it was very common for only a quarter of the homes to sell. And, you know, like 21% in the entire year of all the listed properties. And then people would lower their price, start a new listing. And, and you know, so about one out of four of all the homes sold. And that went on all through the 90s, all through the 2000s, 2012. We, you know, we got up to 28% of the MLS selling in 2013 when the market kind of rebounded. But since 2016, that was the first year that we got 31%, then 36% of the entire, all the listings on the MLS selling, uh, 41%, 47%, 74% was 2020 sales. And then last year, 124% of the properties that were reported at the end of the month, uh, we sold 25% more than that, 124.98%. So just how do you sell more than 100% of anything? And the bottom line is because of the, the MLS only pulling the numbers one time a month, during that month, we're selling more inventory. And that means that we're eating into existing inventory already, and it's going to continue. So I don't want to beat a dead horse, but I, <laughs> I just can't stress enough. If you are going to be shopping for a home, 
you need to do it very, very quickly. I agree. You know, it's a, uh, um, you know, what other, what other tricks are there? Uh, you know, what other, uh, uh, I think another important element, um, Bob is, you know, like I did with a couple this week that I was buying in Phoenix is I called the listing agent and the seller. And I asked the buyer if I could disclose everything about their file to the seller. And when I say everything, you know, credit scores and retirement accounts, et cetera. And why I did that is that I was able to, this, this house had five offers, but by talking to the listing agent of this borrower, and I even had their loan already underwritten, we had an underwritten approval. And I said, I will send you that underwritten approval from our underwriter. And that is what sealed the deal for the listing agent and the seller to accept the offer of, of the buyer over someone else. And I share that because that is what passed. So Jerry, we're coming up on, a, on another break and I know that you've got to catch a plane. No, I have to go to a uh, core meeting in San Diego. So I'll be in San Diego for a business meeting. Awesome. Have fun at your meeting. Sounds good, buddy. All right, Bob, All right. we'll have fun. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Jerry. Bye-bye. Okay, we've got about a minute and a half before the break. And when I come back, I'm going to bring on Camille Zachmeyer, who actually got her real estate license on the same day that I have. We are one number apart. Her number actually came first. And we have closed a combined 4,400 transactions in Tucson. This is something a lot of people, you know, they think, oh, wow, you sell a lot of houses. I don't actually, I educate people. And Camille and I have been together since day one, just like Jerry Sunt on the radio program. He was here on the very first broadcast, and here we are in our 10th year of doing it. Camille and I are in the process right now of renewing our real estate licenses for the 11th time. So a two-year renewal. We're on our 22nd year, starting in May, 22 years of selling homes in Tucson, 4,400 homes, 22 years. So we've averaged 200 houses a year since the year 2000. When we come back from the break, I'll be back with Camille Zachmeyer of the Win3 team at eXp Realty. And we're gonna talk about the market and things that you can do with bidding wars to make sure that your offer is going to be accepted. Also, if you are the seller of a property, we're going to talk about things that you wanna look for to make sure that you're accepting the right offer because a lot of times you only have one chance to be new and you don't wanna take an offer that appears to be higher but has a much less chance of being able to close. So bidding wars and successful strategies when we come back to Tucson Home Solutions on KNST. Thanks a lot for listening. We will be right back. Okay, I'm back in the studio with my wife, Camille Zachmeyer. Hi, Camille. Hi, Bob. So, Camille, we've got a little bit of reverberation going on, but we'll make our way through it. So, when you're working with buyers, what would you tell them that they could do to get their offer more likely to be accepted? When I'm working with buyers, and if we're looking at a home that just came on the market that day, I definitely advise them that they might have to use something called an escalator clause. So basically, an escalator clause, you write an offer at, let's say the house is listed at 250 And so we write an offer at 250 
And then we say we will pay $1,000 over the next highest offer up to, let's say, two seventy-five. Okay. And then the escalator clause also says if our offer is accepted and we actually had to escalate, the seller and their agent provide us a copy that we had to so they basically have to prove that you needed to go as high as you did. Well, in the summertime, it was probably used with every offer written. As the holidays came along, I didn't see it as much, and I didn't have to use it with my buyers as much. But I think it's coming back. No, I definitely see it coming back. So 1,199 total properties listed on the MLS as of today. That's crazy. So what would you tell buyers who are searching for homes, especially low-priced homes? If you're looking at a home for $200,000, first you need to get pre-qualified because rates are still low. And a $200,000 home a few years ago is a better payment today because of the rates. I think before you even go out and look at houses, you need to get pre-qualified with a lender and be prepared to put the offer in as soon as you see the house. Because sometimes getting pre-qualified after, you might not have time to put an offer in. So get pre-qualified before you go out to look. So in your experience, how long should you give a seller to respond to your offer if you're the buyer? Sometimes agents will write an offer and they want a response the same day. And most people are not going to respond on the same day. You need to at least give 24 hours for a seller to respond. But I'm seeing on the multiple listing service that if a house goes on the market on Friday, they won't respond until Monday. So what if you got an all-cash offer with no appraisal, and no repair contingency or inspection, would you recommend that they take that? It it would depend on the type of offer. If it's a cash offer, I might say, let's go with that. But recently we had a house with six offers on it. And the first offer that came in was at list price. It was conventional, putting down a big down payment. However, that buyer wanted a response that day. And although a full price offer is good, I thought we could do better than that. And we had five more offers, and three of them were over asked with bigger down payments and conventional financing. So don't ever let the fact that you have an offer, let the buyer force you to respond. You can can respond respond on your own own timeline. And actually, our seller was angry that they were trying to force her to respond on that day. And she said, I'm not responding to anything until the end of the weekend. So what else did you go through with the seller to review these six offers? And which one did you accept? Because if I recall correctly, you did not select the highest offer. Why was that? Right. They did not accept the highest offer. So the highest offer was an FHA loan. And they had an escalator clause. You can write 
an offer on a house that's maybe like worth 250 and you can put in an escalator clause that says you'll pay up to $500,000, but it still has to appraise. Right. So when we looked at the offers, that was something that we weighed. That somebody had a really high offer. In my opinion, it looked like they just expected that we'll get the property. And then when it doesn't appraise, the seller will just drop their price. So that's a waste of everybody's time. So then we looked at the next offer. And who had the highest propensity to close the deal? So you had one recently that the appraisal came in $21,000 low and the seller did lower the price, right? So in that instance, the buyer had negotiated that the seller would pay $5,000 towards their closing costs. And when the property did not appraise, it was $21,000 short. The seller actually said they would drop the price $21,000 but, but the, the buyer, buyer would have, have to give up the 5000 in closing costs. And that wasn't a traditional seller. That was a... That was not a traditional seller. That was an iBuyer. iBuyer company. iBuyer. And so that was not expected. And I'll also tell you that we had looked at what the seller paid for that property. And that might have been what they paid for it. But then, but then I'm, I'm sure, sure they got money, money back in repairs. repairs. So, and so what showed up online is what they paid for it. It's probably not what they actually paid for it because they wouldn't have been able to drop the price $21,000 if that was the case. So what would you tell people to do in this very tight supply market? Do they have to do very much to their home in order to get it ready to sell? Honestly, it's on a house by house basis, but typically, I just think they need to clean their house up, get it cleaned up, make it where people can walk in and see the house. So if you have a lot of clutter, put your clutter in the garage or storage unit, but clean your house up. And that's typically what I say you need to do. If there's any really strong odors, if you had... A smoker, a smoker in the house, house or something, maybe take down the drape. You want, you want people, people to come, come in and not, and not turn around, around and leave immediately. But market, in this market, it's just, it's just basically cleaning up the inside, cleaning up the outside. And that's typically what I would say to do. And typically the houses that are sitting on the market, it is pricing. It all comes down to pricing. So it could be pricing for condition. Because, because your, your house, house is not worth the same as the guy's house next door, door who's remodeled his entire house. house. If yours is still, looks like it's from the 70s. So it comes down to pricing. You can't price your house exactly the same as the house next door just because you have the same square footage. You have to look at what upgrades they have and how their house shows compared to yours. So, Camille, we've got a little bit of reverberation going on. So we'll end it here, and I'll go over some market data so we don't have all of the reverberation from the Internet. So to sum up the market in Tucson, is looking at the MLS inventory, we touched on this earlier, just two weeks ago, there were 1,395 homes. Now there are 1,199 homes. So 196 fewer homes in exactly two weeks. Uh, when you look back at November, 
the middle of November, 1,833 homes. And here we are the first week of February with less than 1,200 homes. So that's a loss of 634 properties off the MLS. The people that are going to feel this the most are the buyers under $200,000. There were 38 properties back in mid-November, and now there are 11. Of the properties that were more than 250 or actually less than $250,000, there were 125 properties in the middle of November. Now there are 66 properties, so about half. The $300,000 homes, we went from 328 to a total of 171. So pretty much all of these numbers are 50%. Um, and then the 400,000, that's where most people in Tucson are going to get shut down, where that's they don't make enough to qualify the median family income for the majority of people in Tucson precludes them from buying anything over $400,000. There were 892 single-family single, single family homes available to choose from, and now that number has been diminished down to 495 total homes. The place where there seems to be an abundant supply of inventory is over $1 million. Just last week, we had 105 homes in Tucson over $1 million. That 105 has grown in one week to 121. So we have 16 more houses on the market. That's a 15% increase in the supply of homes uh, that are a million. And from the 400,000 and under category, we've actually seen a decline of 10.2% in the number of homes in one week. It's going fast. If you're going to be shopping for a home this spring, you really want to do it sooner rather than later. I would love to help you with that. I'm Bob Zachmeyer of eXp Realty. You can reach me at 520-314-SOLD or go to bobhasthehouses.com. I want to give a shout out to my trainer at Prestige Fitness, Manny. Even though we've been in Cabo San Lucas uh, this week, I have video training sessions with Manny, so I'm not missing a beat. We've been going down to the gym here, working out every day, and it's just so nice to combine food and fitness all in one place with a lot of good equipment, awesome people that really keep you motivated to get yourself back into good health and, and stay there. So thanks, Prestige Fitness. I appreciate it. And we'll see you next week when we return to Tucson. I look forward to hearing from you. We'll see you again next week on Home Solutions with the Win3 team at eXp Realty. You can reach me at 520-314-SOLD or go to bobhasthehouses.com. We'll be right back after the break. Thanks a lot for listening. Hello and welcome back. I'm Bob Zachmeyer of eXp Realty. And I wanted to share an article with you that came out on Inman this week titled, Sorry to Burst Your Bubble, But We Are Not In One. Today's rising home prices and a persistent seller's market differ from the 2007 housing bubble in a few key ways, economists told Inman. 
In short, don't expect bubbles bursting anytime soon. Historically low inventory leading buyers to make rushed decisions, bidding wars helping to push up record high housing prices, many in the nation's largest home buying generation are being priced out of markets nationwide. Are these the signs of a housing bubble? It's hard not to look at unprecedented territory of the U.S. post-COVID housing market with a twinge of fear that the country is returning to conditions that existed before the collapse around the Great Recession. As common as the question is these days, economists say today's housing market boils down to the simple economic principles of supply and demand. I was thinking what is really a bubble? There is no firm definition of a bubble. To some people, high appreciation is going to be a bubble. To others, it's high speculation. Generally, among economists, we think when there is an increase in speculation, when people are buying based on the expectation of appreciation as opposed to that need for housing, that's when we could be in a bubble. Yet there are many more signs that point to a healthy market that was sped up due to unique conditions brought on by the coronavirus pandemic. In a way, the pandemic may have led buyers who ordinarily might have purchased a first or second home in a few years to do so much sooner. One question we don't know for sure is how many people moved forward to buy a home because of the stimulus and low interest rates that would have bought this year or next year, said Doug Duncan, chief economist at Fannie Mae. That expedited purchasing might not make it easier for those who are getting squeezed out of entering the market for the first time. Everyone is going to have their own mindset and excuses to buy or not to buy. I just explained that buying now versus holding off and waiting for a bubble to burst is likely going to put you in a place where you're paying the same price or more, but at a much higher interest rate. There are a few things that make the market's ongoing ramp up fundamentally different this time around. More recently, the market has been driven by much healthier fixed rate and 30-year mortgage rates that are giving owners certainty after buying. According to Nicole Bashad, a Zillow economist, we have much stronger borrowers and less risky loan products. The vast majority of buyers are getting 30-year fixed rate mortgages if you lock in a 30-year mortgage rate, your payment is not going to be changing, of course, other than taxes or insurance. While that rate is rising and expected to keep climbing, it pales in comparison to the rates from 30 to 40 years ago. Lenders are also taking fewer risks when it comes to qualifying buyers. Foreclosures in 2021 dropped to the lowest rate since tracking began in 2005, according to Adam Data Solutions. In 2006 to 2008, what really drove price appreciation being so high and home evaluation being so inflated was the idea of excess. People were given a lot more credit than they should have had. They had riskier loans that no longer exist. The pandemic shifted people all over the country, leading to demographic changes and buyers bidding on homes and driving up the cost of housing shows the fundamental supply-demand economy at work. The lead-up to the 2007 housing collapse saw speculation, overextended credit, and other factors that artificially inflated prices. What we're having now is the complete opposite. 
we have a market that's run on scarcity. It's an organic and sustainable thing that's happening. In that sense, we are in a completely different market from 2008. Same goes for Portland, Oregon, hearing so much concern about a bubble as much as the impact of rising interest rates. In Portland, we have such a lack of inventory, zero homes for sale. There's much more demand out there still. We're getting eight to 12 offers on every single house. Well, that's very common to what's happening in Tucson. And we're seeing that all over the country. And with millennials taking over as the country's largest group of home buyers, there's no indication that it's going to slow down anytime soon. We are still three to four years away from the peak first-time homebuyer age in the millennial generation. Secondly, when you look at the underwriting criteria, the risks being taken in the lending space are nothing like they were back in 2005 to 2007. Those two things together suggest it's more of a mismatch of supply and demand than a bubble. And I couldn't agree more. I think we have a natural demand that is not being met. There's not enough supply. We have 1,200 people a month moving to Tucson. They're not building enough homes for the people coming in. So how can a market meltdown and have prices fall when there's not enough houses for everyone to live in? Affordable housing is the thing that we really have to watch because just the sheer number of homes does not indicate uh, the market in itself. It's how affordable are those homes. There's another article I wanted to share with you. It came out in DS News on February 2nd. According to a new report from Redfin, more than 34.1% of single-family homes for sale throughout the United States in December were new construction. So more than one out of three homes, new construction, 34%. And this is up from one year ago when it was 25.4%. So we went from having one out of four homes coming on the market be new construction to one out of three homes on the market becoming new construction. I do not see that at all. I don't know of any statistic in the Tucson MLS that will show me that number. And I certainly don't see it when I'm out and about showing homes that there's one out of every three home is, is a brand new construction home listed by a builder. Newly built homes have taken on an increasing portion of U.S. housing inventory over the past 10 years with a significant increase in mid-2020 after the pandemic started. Home builders have been trying to make up for the lack of existing homes on the market and keep up with the high demand. The surge in homebuyer demand since the start of the pandemic stemmed from low mortgage rates and the prevalence of remote work. Some homeowners have opted to refinance or remodel instead of selling, heightening the shortage of existing homes for sale. Overall, inventory dropped to a record low in December as existing home sales fell 14.2% year over year to a record low of only 1.8 months of supply. There is a six month supply of new homes and inventory is up 34.8%. As the share of new homes has risen, the share of new home sales has remained relatively flat, around 11%, another indicator that home buyer demand is far outpacing supply. There's been a steady increase in new home sales in 
December of 2019, new home sales represented 21% of all home sales nationwide. In December 2020, it went from 21% to 25.4. And as of December 2021, 34.1% of all homes sold were brand new construction. Existing homes tend to be less expensive and thus sell faster. The median sale price of all the homes sold in the United States is $377,800. And we are sitting in Tucson at $338,000. So we are roughly $40,000 below the national average. So in Houston, 39.4% of all of the homes for sale are new construction. That's more than any other place in the country. It's followed by Minneapolis, 38.7%, and San Antonio, Texas, 37.5%. Texas metros top this list because they typically have more land to build and are relatively lenient on construction regulations compared to other markets, mainly coastal areas. On the other end of the spectrum, California metros had the smallest share of new construction inventory. In San Diego, only 3.1% of for sale homes were newly built, followed by Anaheim at 3.8 and Los Angeles at 4.4. So as this trend continues with building permits increasing and more and more new construction, it's definitely driving prices higher because of higher costs to build and higher labor costs, but that should actually do two things. It will push the people at the lower end of the market out of the housing market because they won't be able to afford anything. And also it will alleviate some of the inventory problems as they add more inventory to the market. So you have more supply, less demand. That doesn't mean a free fall like we saw back in the 2008 market, but it definitely bodes that down the road, we are going to have a more normal supply demand curve And this is why in another month or so, it is time to take some chips off the table and take advantage of this market, get some of the properties you have sold, get the money invested. And I personally sold all of my rental properties, turned around and made loans on properties. And now I'm being paid on mortgages, some of which were on properties I previously owned. So now I still have the same collateral but I don't have any tenants or toilets or phone calls. I don't have any liability if someone slips and falls on the property. I get a check in the mail once a month without any hassles, no matter where I am in the world. Never again, another broken air conditioner or leaky roof or anything like that. I can't tell you how much I love that. If you'd like to learn how to do that, I would love to be able to show you. So again, my name is Bob Zachmeyer. I'll be back again next week with Jerry Sunt. He had to leave a little bit early this week, but we will be back on the air next Sunday at 10 o'clock on Tucson Home Solutions on KNST. Thanks for listening.